Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And we're coming back to you with another episode of the podcast. And uh, this week's is going to be a little bit more fun for us. Uh, last week, we talked about something that got uh, a little negative, which isn't normally our shtees, but um, for the topic that we were discussing, it kind of had to... Uh, be that way, I guess. But had to be done, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody has to do it. It probably shouldn't be us, but we did it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> probably should have got a professional of some sort to talk about it. Uh, but alas, two dum dums did. Uh, last week we talked about the Warhammer Curse City release debacle and sort of in the bigger picture why Games Workshop might be having these issues and maybe how it could be resolved in the future. And as you would imagine, that discussion got a little unhappy at times, I would say. Maybe even unpleasant. And, and like, since recording that, we have found out more information about the Curse City thing that has made people even more unhappy. And it's a debacle. It's an issue. Yeah, yeah, that, that situation is only getting worse, not better. So this week, instead of sort of wallowing in it and to kind of clear our palate, we're going to talk about something that... I really, really enjoyed, and John is going to enjoy secondhand. Uh, we're going to talk about the Broken Realms Techless, which sort of, it, the reverse of Curse City, was a absolute home run by Games Workshop. Uh, I loved it so much. So it'll be a, it'll yeah. be a nice palate cleanser, I think, something that we could sort of Sit down and enjoy. Now, for people listening, I will say, in terms of the topics we're going to cover, if you're here for, like, the mechanics and the rules, uh, I'll touch on a, a little bit of that briefly at the end, but you're going to be woefully, woefully underwhelmed by us talking about that. Uh, we're much more casual folks here for people who are maybe just stumbling across us, so instead we're going to be talking about the story, mostly. Uh, and no worries, we're not quite jumping into it yet. If if you're out there and you haven't read the book and you want to read the book, I highly recommend you do. It's really good. How, however, if you listen to this, it's going to spoil some of that from you. Uh, it, I don't often think it is worth giving a spoiler warning for a Games Workshop book. At least not like their rule-based books. Or campaign books, but man, this one, it is worth not spoiling. So if you really want to like get that experience for yourself, I would recommend stepping away from the podcast so that you don't hurt your own enjoyment. Yeah, like, come back to us later when you want to argue with us on how we think about this. Yeah, please, by all means. No hard feelings, yeah. totally get it. Um, I would hate for someone to hear something here that they didn't want to, and then, you know, get a little less fun out of the book. But for us, largely, I am the one between John and I obsessed with AOS. And John is much more of the 40k persuasion. Yeah, like, I know about the Lumineth and, like, their basic lore, and I understand, like, the basic lore of the AOS and, like, what's going on, but I have not read the Techless book. So I'm excited for you to spoil it for me and me to just go, what? The whole time. Yes. Uh, it's going to be a whole lot of themes. Allow me to sum up the book. Well, 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 if it isn't the consequences of mine own actions. That, that's the book in a nutshell. Um, but for now, we're gonna 
first talk about hobby time and games played. John, what have you been up to? Uh, so hobby wise, I've done about fuck all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I I I got some bases that are coming in to rebase all of the Skaven off of square bases, but. I'm not going to be doing that for a little bit. I got some other stuff I got to handle first. Uh, most of my hobby progress, if this counts, has been reading. Like I've, I started and finished two separate Warhammer 40k books in a week, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm on a third. So I've been doing a lot of that. I think absorbing and, uh, lore counts. That counts. Uh, so I know this is an AOS episode essentially but uh for 40k fans out there if you have not read luther and have any interest in like uh, chaos or the fallen or dark angels or like a third party in anything involving this if you would like to see something different in the 40k setting other than the normal like imperium versus chaos uh something a little bit with like, not, not nuance but different perspective give that book a shot it it has its moments of dry, but it's it's pretty good. It was pretty great. Hmm, yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll talk about that later. Who knows? Yeah, uh, we might circle back around to that at some point. Could be an episode. Uh, people have mentioned that uh, when we asked for ideas about potential episode topics, people have mentioned that they wouldn't mind like novel reviews. So maybe we will circle back around to that topic. Maybe. Other than that, I've just been playing some uh, games with Seth to test out Dark Angel, uh, Dark Eldar. I've been using Dark Angels because we're using Tabletop Simulator, and I wanted to test out Dark Angels. Yeah, how'd that go? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, very fun games. Uh, they're like, t it's like a car crash on both sides, constantly. Yeah, that was a very, very bloody battle. I saw what the table looked like when y'all started, and I saw what it looked like at the end. There was very little left. Oh, uh, yeah, it was... How do we put it? Turns 1 and 2... Or just, uh, I don't, it is just like a high speed car crash. Cause I'm playing Ravenwing. He's playing like Cabal, Witch Cult mostly. And so we're charging at each other, just beating the dog turds at each other <laughs> with plasma guns and chainswords and whips and chains and, and poison needle guns. Uh, well, and we started a second game. Uh, and that second game is also getting spicy like turn he gets turn one and he flies up and i have everyone like huddled behind these different buildings so they don't get shot off the table turn one and he's just like oh i have this bomber and flies over me with this bomber <laughs> and everything within six inches is supposed to take like mortal wounds on a four up and the first four units he rolls for he gets mortal wounds on and gets like six mortal wounds on him Ooh, i mean it's no flying ed but but that's pretty good yeah it was pretty it was pretty good uh Got me, got me real good. So now I'm like already on the back foot. I'm trying to like make my way forward and just, we'll know by the end of turn two. I will say that with Dark Eldar versus Dark Angels, with us both playing fast factions, we know where the game is going by the end of turn two, like pretty regularly. Yeah, that's not, that's not like a five round grinder game. That's a, that's kind of like a firework. It's very fast and very impressive, but it does not last. Oh, for sure. For sure. What about you? Have you gotten into any like hobby stuff? Any uh, games played? So I haven't played any, any, uh, any tabletop games since you and I last played, John. Um, 
I have done some hobby, but I will admit not as much as I normally would have. Because my PlayStation 5 finally got here this week. Oh, look at you. Yeah, it, it was a journey to get one, and then it was a quite a bit of hassle to get it here. Uh, you know, I managed to get one, and to get one, I was on my computer trying to click order. My wife was in the other room on her computer trying to click my order. My wife. My wife. I can say that now. <laughs> We're married. Um, my wife was in the other room on her computer trying to click one, and then I had my phone in my other hand hitting refresh trying to get one. So between, like, three devices all refreshing, we got one, and then... You know, after a month of waiting, the day it was supposed to be delivered, I had to call the place I bought it from and ask them, like, where is it? And they went, oh, sorry, we actually don't have one. It's backordered. Uh, we didn't tell you. You bastards. So, yeah, then it was even more waiting. But it, w it arrived this week, and I, like a child, have been playing PlayStation like I'm 12 again. Oh, yeah. So I was naughty and did not do as much hobby. But I did do some hobby. Um, <laughs> I Those orcs that I 3D printed, I uh, finished up all of their skin, all of their skin coating, which looks pretty decent. I'll, uh, I'll post a picture on uh, Instagram if y'all want to look at that. Also, I rebased those orcs because when I printed them out, I was in my excitement to like print them and look at them. I did not think about what base sizes they needed, and after looking it up, they needed 32s, and I did not have any 32 bases, and I couldn't print more because the printer was being used to print more orcs, so alas, I had to order some, uh, and they got here this week, so I pulled myself away from the PlayStation for an evening to take all of those orcs I printed off of their temporary bases and rebase them onto the 32s so that they're legal. Um, so now they are on the appropriate bases and I'm gonna next step is to paint up the details of the orcs kind of as quickly as possible to try to get a faster scheme going and then just see how they look uh if I like them I might push forward to try to do like a full horde of 30 of them yeah 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 orc boys yeah maybe get into into boys um I mean, it's 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 hot orc summer. Like that's that's what we have titled the summer is hot orc summer. It is hot hot orc summer. And realistically, we'll have an orc codex out for forty k. I hope. Destruction's I hope by the end of the coming. summer, we'll have one. I think destruction's going to be in resurgence in AOS. It's hot orc summer. Like I'm predicting it now. Oh, it's yes. hot orc. It is summer. hot orc summer, and no one can tell me otherwise. Um, also. The way I printed these boys, they'll work for like 40k, like Savage Work boys, but they'll also work for AOS Savage Work boys. So I will maybe accidentally have most of an AOS Work boy army, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, that's coming along. Although, also, I have to do a little bit of hobbying on my 3D printer. Uh, I need to replace my FEP film, which I've never done before, so that'll be new. And I also ordered a new type of FEP, which is supposed to be better, called NFEP. And that just got here, so I'll have to drain the vat and replace that and retension it. And then hopefully after that, it'll be a pain to get it going. But after that, it should make the subsequent prints of these orcs even better. And I don't know if like fiddling with your 3D printer's hobby time, but I'm going to call it hobby time. I'm going to call that hobby time. If we're calling reading books while I'm at work uh, hobby time, then that's hobby time. All right, we'll take it. Um, 
well, listening to books. I don't really, I don't walk and read at the same time. I, I just listen to stuff. But hopefully that'll make uh, printing these subsequent orcs a little easier. Uh, also, in other sort of hobby adjacent news, got my second COVID shot, which is awesome. Because uh, that, John has already been vaccinated. But now that I'm vaccinated, maybe in a few weeks, we it actually opens the door for us to play in-person games again. Which we have yeah. been waiting for forever. Um, and I would love to be able to like have an in-person game and come back and be able to tell y'all exactly how that game went. Yeah, I'll, I'll rebase on my Skaven before then so we can play a big rats versus whatever game. Yeah, I think that would be sick. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so that stuff's coming along. We might actually be able to go back to playing in-person games here soon, and that gets me real excited. Uh, I'm, I've been in a bit of a hobby slump for the past few weeks, and I'm not sure what it is. I don't know if it's the lack of playing games or the lack of releases. Because to be honest, like none of my armies are getting any releases of any type in AOS or 40k, which always kind of turns down the hobby love. And like the Soul Light Grave Lords, which I was looking forward to, got pushed out even further. And the Cursed City I was looking forward to, I didn't get to order. So like nothing really keeping my hobby engine fueled up. So it's been a struggle. Like I have to push myself to the table to hobby and I'm hoping it starts to get a little easier as we go back to playing games. Yeah. Yeah. And as things start opening up, we might see some changes in the distribution side of our hobby where we actually get to buy the products in this, I don't know, capitalist situation. Yep, uh, yep, yep. Something, 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 something. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> wise, John. Wise. That's uh, an episode for another time. That's our drunk uh, rant episode. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> Joe and John, Kentucky politics. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's a struggle to hobby, but I'm doing some of it. So hopefully, I will tell you the podcast is keeping me motivated because I don't want to come here and be like, I did nothing. Like that, duh. I haven't done anything because I was too busy playing Assassin's Creed on that there PlayStation 5. I played Assassin's Creed on PlayStation 5. I'm replaying Days God. Okay, so like biker gang white boy Assassin's Creed. That's, you take that back. <laughs> <laughs> you take that back, you some bitch. I'm, I'm breaking quarantine to fist fight you that's what the next on the agenda <laughs> in the parking lot of a denny's i hope yes as the ritual requires jonathan of course god all right i guess now that you got right, me all mad at you i guess i should probably tell you a story yeah tell me about these like tell me about these wannabe high elves and their cow dudes yeah okay so i'm assuming for the people out there listening still at this point which we appreciate y'all um yeah if you deal with us like <laughs> good lord first off i'm heart. sorry second <laughs> thank you uh, <laughs> for those of you still listening at this point i'm assuming most of you know what broken realms are but for those of you who don't just real quickly broken realms is sort of a games workshop's way of pushing the age of sigmar narrative forward to prep for what's probably going to be a new edition at some point. Don't ask me when it's happening. I can't tell you, but they're prepping for a new edition. So they're trying to push the story forward in the world. 
to get ready for it. And they're using it as a sort of a, a tool to add some new models into the range to fix some war scrolls that are notoriously bad uh, and to give extra uh, units and uh, battalions to armies that desperately need like mini updates. Uh, kind of as a, a band-aid to the larger issues going on in Age of Sigmar. So they're putting out a couple of these. We don't know exactly how many there will be, but so far there have been two. The first was called Broken Realms Marathi. This one's called Broken Realms Teclas. Uh, so far, every Broken Realms book is named after a big character in the lore. Sort of a, a mover and a shaker, if you will. Somebody who has the power to grasp the narrative and steer it in the direction that they want. Now, what's interesting is the difference in perspective in the goals of the people on the cover. And Broken Realms Teclas is no different. Teclas, for the uninitiated, and I guess also for John, because you're more familiar with Teclas in the old world than you are in, like, Age of Sigmar. Um, yeah, for the most part. Yeah, so Teclas is... One of two twin gods of the Lumineth. They're high elves. They're like light elves. They are elves from the realm of light who looked for perfection through knowledge and understanding as they try to live in harmony with the realm that they occupy. Henceforth, the name, the Lumineth, Realm Lords. Teclas is their god. Well, one of the two gods. The other is his brother Tyrion, but he's not currently around. He's busy. Yeah, he went out for cigarettes like a couple centuries ago. Had Much like back. my father! I'm sorry. I can't, done broke John. We just started. John, you can't break yet. Um... And while Tyrion, the brother who's missing, is sort of like the martial lord, uh, Teclas is the nerd. He's the book nerd. He is all. He is the lord of magic and is one of the strongest mages in the world, bar none. Period. End of sentence. Like he is pulling the big, big, big stick around when it comes to bonking people with magic, and he largely leads the elves and he is the one who has guided them at this point to living in harmony with the realms he has taught them how to some of them at least how to bind themselves to particular elements like the mountains or the wind and to understand and harmonize with that element to get great boons and at one point the lumineth kind of tore themselves apart in a in a cold war that became almost like a magic nuclear war where they bombed themselves into oblivion you know kind of rough that old that old chestnut yes you know? we love that one uh and but after they bombed themselves the the like 12 that were remaining went oh that was pretty bad we should stop 
we goofed like real big, y'all. That's killing it so quickly. Oh, man. Yeah, Teclas, you killed a guy with a trident. <laughs> you should lay low for a while. Yeah, they ripped reality asunder, killed a whole bunch of their own countrymen, and then let chaos fly into the realm. That was cool. Uh, super but, neat. Super neat. Yeah, but they got better. And they were living in harmony with the realm, and they were learning, and they were even extending a hand of friendship to other races, which was oh, look at that where Elves the books that are started. friends with people, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is actually where this book picks up, as uh, Teclas has essentially established a city in the realm of light, where the elves are living in harmony with humans and dwarves and other elves that aren't Lumineth. Essentially, like, the races of order are living in peace and harmony in the city. And the elves are helping guide them in the ways of living peacefully with the land that you inhabit. And teaching them magic and being stewards to these other races to try to enlighten them. And the city was going well until, in the beginning of the book, an undead horde descends upon the city. It wasn't necessarily manned by anyone, but there are undead kind of roving across the realms. And that's because of something that happened a few years ago in the narrative called the Necroquake. It was a big ritual that Nagash, the Lord of Death, hereforth known as the Douche of Death, was trying to enact to kill all of the realms. Because Nagash, being the pompous ruler that he is, has decided that Everything will die, and anything that dies belongs to me, so therefore, vis-a-vis, everything belongs to me, it's just a matter of time. So I'll just take out the time elephant, tell element, and kill everything, and uh, then I have it all. Yeah, that's like venture capitalism with more steps, but yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very Manifest Destiny-ish. So he makes this horrible ritual that will kill all of the living in all of the realms and he will own everything and win. Until some Skaven stumble into his ritual circle entirely on accident and and the Skaven explode and then the ritual explodes and it doesn't go how he wants. Uh, Don't they, like, tunnel in from an ocean into, like, the Black Pyramid and, like, interrupt the ritual? Like, oh, no, we didn't mean to do this, no. no so, they, you're overlapping two stories. The Skaven did gnaw their way under the ocean on accident and drain an entire ocean. But that's what revealed the Ididath Deepkin. Ah, uh, but lads. Yeah, that oopsie-doopsie revealed an entirely new race. Uh, and they're still fighting about it. Uh, but, the, yeah, they gnawed their way into his throne room and accidentally stumbled upon the ritual. And having living things and a death ritual, apparently not very good for whatever math magic that was happening. And it went kablooey. And the ripple effect was the necroquake, where death energies rolled across the land and turned magic upside down and also caused the dead to rise from their graves everywhere and this is what has caused the the city that sort of the lumineth have made to teach the other order races to be besieged by undead and a a big fight ensues of the city defenders rallying together to try to push the undead back And they're successful in doing so with some assistance. But after it happens, Teclas is mad. (laughs) Really mad. 
you know, essentially, Teclas and the Lumineth have been focused so, so sort of single-mindedly on chaos that, like, that is the big enemy. That is the war that must be won. That they really weren't paying attention to Nagash before this point. They were kind of isolationist in their realms. And as long as Nagash didn't intrude, they would ignore him for the moment. But in this moment, when the undead sort of trample on the realm of light, Teclas just decides, ah, oh, hell no. No, 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 sir. So he sends a mental image of himself to Teclas' throne room and essentially says, hey, you nerd. Stop it. And Nagash says, no. And Teclas calls him a bitch. And Nagash says that he's a punk. And essentially, a fight is started. It's like it's like the nerds and the like emo kids from high school. They're fighting. Like, yes. in, the, like in the library. Like Yes, that's exactly what is happening. <laughs> The nerd uh, teleported into the emo's throne room, and the emo went, "You're trespassing." While Three Days Grace played in the background, I presume, and <laughs> the nerd responded, "Well, you trespassed on my math camp first. <laughs> um, so the emo king banished this image from the throne room and decided that there must be war. And Teclas then decided, "All right, fine." I guess if I have to come give you a swirly, I'll come do it. And that's how the book starts. <laughs> and kind of the theme in this interaction is that both of these book characters... squaring up. Yes. Like... And both of them are so incredibly arrogant and prideful. Um, it Both of them are just so full of themselves. And it leads to a whole bunch of issues through the book. Um so Teclas kind of gets together a bunch of his elves along with some allies and decides that he is going to take all of his Lumineth as he is going to assault the realm of death. They are going to march their way inside and they are going to take the fight to Nagash. However, it's, it's not necessarily a battle of conquest, which is kind of interesting. Normally when we see somebody like crusade into another realm, they're trying to take the land and hold it. You know, like I'm trying to come to take your castle. So it's now my castle and I get to live there. But here he really doesn't want any of the land of the undead. I mean, he likes the realm of light and he wants to stay there, but rather he's coming with the objective to decentralize Nagash's power to stop the Necroquake and to start rebellions within the realm of death. Specifically, he want he has wanting to show that Nagash can be beaten. That Nagash is not the Iron Fist that he claims to be. That so he... he's trying to like show up to the party with a bunch of like punk music to get these kids to stop listening to MCR. Yes, and like like deal with it another way and like. Bring some copies of The Matrix and just goes watch this. You'll understand what it means. <laughs> it's time to take the blue pill. <laughs> yeah, that's part of his goal. Like he sends horsemen throughout the realm with like the heads of Ossiarch Bone Reapers uh, to show people the villages in the undead realm. Look, we elves killed these elite honor guard. If we can do it, you can do it. 
Nagash is just a dude in a pointy hat. That's it. But like on a on a very real level though, like these are like hyper trained, efficient mag- like magic swordsmen oh, yes. and like yes, landsmen yes. and like very <laughs> yes, yes. powerful people going, You can do it too, say to Billy Farmer with a pitchfork and nothing he actually owns to his name and is probably malnourished because he lives in the realm of death and isn't taken care of by his lords. <laughs> the so only thing like, he owns is his zombie Ted who used to be his brother. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, he's just like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that like that's Teclas's goal, which like even that goal is so grandiose that you can't help but go Teclas, you moron, you can't accomplish it. But he that thought can't appear in Teclas's mind. He's incapable of self-doubt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh so the war yeah, yeah, begins. Yeah, too smart for his own good. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um Caleb. they surge into uh, the realm of death, and Teclas decides that he wants to open with a huge blow to Nagash and his uh, sort of morale. So he targets this big, important location to Nagash. And the problem is, to get to that location, you have to go through a number of fortresses manned by these uber-skeletons called the Ossiarch Bone Reapers that Nagash has made as his, like, elite, elite warriors. And all of these fortresses know war is coming, so they sort of prepare to repel the the land assault that's going to occur. But as they're standing on the battlements and they're looking out into the fog waiting for Lumineth to come walking, they don't. And then as they look up, huge floating islands with Lumineth on top of all of them come floating overhead. Because the Lumineth, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, can bind with the elements. And those who have bound with the mountain lifted three mountains and started floating them over the fortress. So it's like, the fortresses. It's like some sort of fantasy Normandy, is what you're saying. Like, kind of, sort of. Ske- you got uber skeletons, which is, you know, German. Uh- <laughs> I'm not drawing that <laughs> illusion, John. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving you there, uh, <laughs> but no, like, like that's pretty great. Where like the Lumineth are coming on these like floating pyramids down with elves to just like shatter, like what the the defenses that were preparing for a ground assault. Yeah, because, so know. like they literally just fly over top of them, like they just bypass them. These defenses didn't have anything planned to stop these giant aerial battlements. They were ready to, like, grind it out on the ground. So they have, like, spears and swords. And, you know, these islands fly over top of the first battlement, the second battlement. And they fly over a couple of fortresses to get towards the the sort of target that they want to get to. However, of course, when the first fortress is flown over, word is sent back, like, oh, God, they're coming with mountain planes <laughs> we gotta do something we cannot be punked by mountain planes so the fortress guarding the big statue that was the target uh sort of prepares so as teclas flies over all of the fortifications it gets to sort of his final goal catapults are brought into range and also the bone shapers who are next to this giant statue made of bones start to control it and it becomes you know a giant of bones and it smashes all three of the floating islands 
and all is the luminaires go falling. Is it that big? can like knock him out of the air. Huh? Is it that big that it can like knock him out of the air? Yes. Yeah, it's huge, colossal. It is. They essentially have a titan now. It's not supposed to move, but with enough magic, they made it move. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. essentially, Teclas underestimated his enemy, and he paid for it. Um, all three of these islands were smashed. Lumineth go falling through the sky, and Teclas manages to save most of them from splattering on the ground as sidewalk pizza. However, you know, he loses some in the fall, and then they hit the ground, and now they are standing in front of a fortress that is prepared for them, outnumbered, and being targeted by artillery in enemy territory. It's a problem. Um, and Teclis is kind of, from the way the book describes it, Teclis isn't attacking so much as he is just trying to counterspell and defend to keep everyone alive. So he's really not necessarily bringing the pain because he can't. He is overextended. Yeah, he's just, he's playing on the back foot. Yeah, exactly. Like he's trying to stabilize rather than uh, step forward. And uh, this is a moment where sort of the pride comes into play. Because at this point, the, the Lumineth are on the ground and the catapults come into range. And, uh, you know, the Lumineth actually are fairly strong warriors. So they have some Dawn Riders with them that like cavalry charge into the enemy and it that's quite effective. And they're pulled, like they have these long pikes that are sort of like uh, phalanxes that they can stab forward and keep some enemies back. And they're doing some damage. But once the trebuchets, uh, no, they're not trebuchets, they're catapults. Once the catapults get into range and start raining artillery, stuff gets bad, real bad. So Teclis calls for his stone mages to like take all of the pieces that have fallen to the ground and pull them together to make this like fortification for themselves. So they start floating rocks into place, sort of Avatar the Last Airbender style, making hmm. a little piece of the realm of light in the realm of death and purifying this little area. And they're going to hold this area like that's their only option. And upon seeing this, it's back to that word invasion. The Lumineth have brought the realm of light to the realm of death. They have claimed undead soil for themselves. And in seeing this, Nagash is enraged. He's absolutely irate at what, has, what is being done to him. Like he's disrespected. And that's part of the plan. Um, if a cooler, more calculated, less prideful head were at the forefront, maybe like Catacros, the big leader of the Ossiarch Bone Reapers, who was an emotionless, cold killer and tactician, they would have just stayed in the fortress and hammered them with artillery until they turned to dust. Right. But Catacros has been deployed by Nagash elsewhere to try to fight Archeon. So he's not here. Like there are no cooler heads. It is just yeah. Nagash and his impulsiveness. And like Arkan, his like peon who does whatever he wants. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll get to Arkan in a minute. Um, but Nagash being prideful doesn't want to just hit him with artillery. He wants to belittle them as in response for what they've done to as an affront to him. So he leaves the fortresses. 
and instead of just grinding them out, he bring like all the troops come out in a foot assault to try to destroy them. And as they do, a fourth mountain comes floating in over the horizon. And that fourth mountain is, if I remember correctly, it's carrying a Velenor with like these, their own Titan, essentially. Uh, like this big, as I call them, the battle cattle. <laughs> oh, the big like mountain cow dude. Yeah, yeah, big, yeah. The, like, the animated big mountain. hammers, yeah. Yes, uh, comes floating in over the horizon. Uh, it's sort of uh, a backup that Teclas had held in reserve. And that gets dropped to flank the the Ossiarch that have just left their structure. <laughs> and uh, it gets into the mix. And now it's a much more equal battle. And Teclas gets to turn from defense to offense. And start smiting. And once he starts smiting like this sort of light energy at all of the enemies, they start to disintegrate. And because they're outside the fortresses, they have no defenses against it. And between this sort of magical onslaught and the spirits of the mountain that came in without being assaulted by the trebuchets first, it is just too much of a counterpunch for the Ossiarch to stop. And soon the large uh, sort of statue is crumbled. Um... Like, Teclas does some cool magic stuff where, like, he will eradicate something with light magic. And anything that was trying to heal that thing the moment he killed it will backlash and also kill the mage who is healing it. Oh, that's a super cool, like, broken thing that Teclas can do. Yeah, like yeah, it sounds about broken accurate. things Teclas, Teclas can do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I believe it. So, like, he kills all their, essentially, their support heroes by that. And then they have nothing to rebuild them and they just die. So, like, first assault, great victory! Uh, on the western front, uh, Teclas, the opposite kind of happens. Teclas underestimates Nagash and pays for it. He sends a bunch of his uh, sort of cavalry and an all-cavalry army towards another objective to try to, like, bring the word to the towns, as I mentioned before. But he... He sort of thought, like, yes, we obviously have the best cavalry because we're the Lumineth and we have these, like, light horses. We got this, these great horses. We are unstoppable. I have the best cavalry, most excellent cavalry. Until, you know, the undead horsemen show up and the Ossiarch Bone Reapers riding these horses that are, like, magically designed to be unstoppable. And simply put, they can't outrun them. They're in home territory. They're in their home territory, and they aren't gonna outrun the undead. Um, and it's kind of it's not as long of a piece as like the the main battle. Essentially, the elves decide like, all right, we're not gonna outrun them. Maybe we run uphill, and maybe that'll do it. Maybe there we can hold them. And as they run uphill, they get to the top and look back, and the they hoped that the enemy horses would struggle with the terrain. But they were woefully incorrect. They come charging up the hill. So many of the Lumineth decide, all right, we'll make our stand here. Because the horses are like sweating and panting and they have nothing left in them. So they get off their horses and a fair portion of the force make their stand at the top of this mountain. 
but there's no allies coming to save them. There's no floating mountain coming to flank. They get cut down by the Ossiarch, and they lose a, an incredible amount of that force, while uh, the rest of it sort of runs ahead to try to like bring the word, hey, you know, Nagash can be fought. Which, right. you know, Nagash underestimates Teclis, and then immediately Teclis underestimates Nagash. Pride, 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 pride. Consequences of actions incurred. Yeah. Well, 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 if it isn't the consequences of my own pride. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the theme. Um, so after this happens, Nagash is mad, so he decides, all right, I'm going to do a big ritual because Teclis has insulted me. And I want to make all of the realms hurt, but I want to make the realm of light hurt the most. So I want you, my three Mortarks, sort of like his three uh, captains or three lieutenants, to go out and I want you to complete these rituals. And the Mortarks go to do so. However, it uh, doesn't quite go as expected. Um, I'll start with Neferata. She is, um, for those of you who are sort of uninitiated to the world, she is a vampire. And she, if you sort of for inspiration, think Queen of the Damned. She is a stunningly gorgeous uh, vampiress who uses a lot of manipulation and cunning and long plans to get her way. She is a, a master of political machination. And usually that serves her pretty well in the long game of the night. And she tries to do her ritual on a mountaintop. And she actually is pretty clever in the way she tries to make sure that no one finds it. She, you know, bribes a lot of the patrols for the area to sort of redirect their routes. She bribes ship captains so their sky ships don't go that way and ships them in different directions. And anybody who is sort of an explorer in that area, you know, tries to guide them away so that hopefully she won't be interrupted when she goes to do her ritual. And I'm going to spend the least amount of time on her story because I think it's by far the most boring. Um, but essentially, a Caradron overlord sees that nobody is going to that mountaintop and decides, I want to go to that mountaintop. And... <laughs> <laughs> no one else is going there. Well, there must be something there worth some money. Got to be something good there. I want some shinies. And, uh, you know, the Caradron Overlord stumbles into it and gets her fleet destroyed and her crew destroyed. And uh, she makes it back to a tavern, essentially, where she has been aged horribly. She is now an old Wilbid. And she sort of tells this story to two... Uh, heroes of the Lumineth Realm Lords, uh, Teclis and Tyrion, the two gods, each have a representative who is their right hand to represent themselves. Uh, Alania and uh, Elithor, I think is their names, um, who are like twins who go everywhere together and they travel the realms looking for stuff. And she sort of tells this tale to them in a bar and they decide, oh, well, whatever that is, like, we have to stop it. So they go up there with some allies. They fight Neferata. Neferata's plan fails. It's it's fine, I guess, but it's not very interesting yeah. as far as the story goes. Yeah. It serves the purpose of the narrative. Yeah, it does. Um, I think the other two are much more interesting. Um, then you have the other two uh, 
I guess we'll call them Mortarks or Lieutenants. Uh, we'll start with Manfred, who is another vampire. And for anybody who played the old world or read the end times, you will know Manfred. Um, but essentially, Manfred is a vampire like Nick Ferrata, which gives him long life and strength and blah, blah, blah. But Manfred is a treacherous, backstabbing conniver. Um, Manfred wants power for Manfred's sake. Uh, and everybody in the world is just a tool to do it. He is the Machiavellian vampire, for lack of a better description. And he's always looking for a way to advance his position, even if that means killing his boss, Nagash, which he would love to do if he could pull it off. So Manfred is told, all right, you have to go do this one. You have to go do your ritual in the realm of life. Okay. So he goes to the realm of life to do his ritual, and he brings his army of, like, skeletons and other various undead. He's usually known as being, like, the horde army of, like, cheap stuff that he just brings a butt-ton of and flanks them to try to get victory. Yeah. And he comes into the realm of life, and arrayed in front of the realm gate, the portal where his army steps out, is a ton of Nurgle units. Because Nurgle is trying to war for the war of life. Yeah, he's trying to, like, absorb it into the Garden of Nurgle. Yeah, he wants it badly. So there is a guerrilla war that has been going on for a long time between him and Alariel and the Sylvaneth. And uh, Manfred hopes that he can sort of, instead of having to fight the Nurgle army, just distract them. So he takes all of his skeletons and stuff and splits them up into three forces and sends them in three directions just as a distraction. And he hopes that because Nurgle lovers love the number three, that they'll go, ah, yes, the God of Pestilence has given us this trial. We shall kill it. And, uh, you know, just kind of attack these skeletons, which are going to die, but whatever. Manfred doesn't care about anyone but himself. Yeah, Man yeah, Manfred doesn't care about spooky bones. Spooky bones? He can get more spooky bones. My name is Manfred. He'll head to Spirit Halloween and restock after every battle. He does not give a damn. So, he saves his tax return for October every year. <laughs> every time. And he always buys in bulk. Uh, and it works. You know, the the plague followers go to attack his three armies. And he goes to do his ritual with, like, his little honor guard of more elite units. Hopefully just to protect him while he does his ritual. But as he's doing his ritual, the forest awakens. And there's sort of like a stomping as something comes surging towards the ritual location. And as he looks up, it's Alariel, the goddess of life. She sort of detected what was going on, and she personally arrives to stop it. And she rips his honor guard to shreds and destroys them all and shatters his ritual. And normally for Manfred, this is where you would expect him to throw a hissy fit because he hates losing. He is that guy of the Age of Sigmar universe. Yeah, it's kind of like the whole death faction as a whole. Like, it's either soulless automatons or petty. <laughs> yes, you, the, he, he's like the pissy petty boy. He should be screaming. But as the ritual is defeated, he smiles. And he's not upset. And from across the battlefield, he smiles at Alariel and gives her a short bow. And uh, as the book describes it... uh. I've tried to remember the exact words. Manfred's ritual was stopped, and I quote, as he knew it would be. Mm. 
and he just leaves happily leaves and then he goes and like pillages Neferata's lands but like what he wanted he, yeah whatever <laughs> he wanted to lose which means he is scheming for something and I don't know what that is but I'm very interested because Manfred's schemes are always interesting um it's almost like he wanted to bring Alariel into the fight and I'm not sure why what maybe it sort of ties into some of the conversations that Teclis has with Alariel throughout the book, which we'll kind of get to at the end. Um, then you have sort of the final Mortark, Arcan the Black. He is not a vampire. He's a lich. You know, an undead wizard who has bound his soul into a phylactery, blah, 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 blah. He's a, a very powerful magic user. And he is the... Of the three Mortarks, he is by far the most loyal to Nagash. Yeah, yeah. He's he's basically like the loyal peon to Nagash who does whatever he says. He's like the Ogre from Frankenstein or something. What's yeah. Um, uh, Manfred would throw would absolutely murder Nagash for half a stale bagel, and Neferata would also half a stale bagel. <laughs> <laughs> Neferata would also probably betray Nagash, but it would have to be for a a big payoff and with a really good plan. Uh, so like a nice croissant, like French croissant, fluffy, steaming, just out of the oven. Um, Whereas like Manfred would do it for like a gas station egg sandwich. <laughs> yes, and not even a full one. It could have been on the ground. Doesn't matter. He's in. You said betray to Gash. Hey ya. However, Arcad would like not betray Nagash for the entirety of the realms. He's just, he is the loyal puppy dog. So when Nagash tells him, you have to go do your ritual in the realm of light, the realm of the enemy, <laughs> he just says, yes, and goes to do that, which is a big ask, big ask, which is probably why Nagash gave it to like his most trusted peon. Um, now this fight is actually... Super interesting. I think it is the most interesting of the three by a country mile. Uh, so obviously, as I mentioned, like y to do this ritual, you have to be in the realm that you want to cause pain to, which means in this instance, you have to be in the realm of light where the elves live. I mean, that's where most of them are going to be. That's yeah. got, it's really, really hard to assault someone's home terrain as Teclis is finding out. And it's going to be no different for Arcan. But Arcan is a clever man. Lich thing. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's a clever sack of bones. Uh, so he decides to use the nature of the realm against the elves. So if everybody listening would picture like a big circle on a map, like just a big old circle on a piece of paper, the middle of that circle, like the dead center, is where the realms are the most stable. Like, all the realms are sort of like a flat disk, kind of. Flat Earth Theory. Confirmed. Oh, don't get <laughs> <Mortal me started>. <laughs> <laughs> John, no. Um, and everything near the middle is stable. It's where the realm is most put together. But as you go further to the edges, the further you go and the closer you get to the edge, the more unstable everything becomes. Where, like, physical form starts to fall apart and it becomes a land of ideas and thought and light rather than, like, being able to touch things or understand three-dimensional Euclidean geometry. And so, like, going towards the edge of the realms, things fall apart, including living beings. Normally, like, you just, like, 
poof, and you turn to light. It's a problem. No one goes there. It's why cities aren't made there. But Arcan has access. Well, Arcan himself is a, ma- is a powerful magic user, so he could kind of keep himself put together. And he has access to the Ossiarch Bone Reapers. And one of those sub-factions is made of bones that have runes all over them that negate magic inherently. Like, that's their whole shtick, that sub-faction. So Arcan takes all of them and steps through the realm portal, and he begins to, like, set them up on the edge of the realm, because they can take it. When the energy starts to flux around them, the runes will glow, but they stay. And he begins to do the ritual. And the elves can see it happening, but as they're looking at it, they're sort of powerless to stop it. Um, You can't just, like, take all of your soldiers and march over there. Most of them are going to die on the way. It's just not going to work. However, much like Lord of the Rings, uh, someone steps forward who says, I am no man. And it's uh, Eltharion the Grim. Uh, Ooh, yes. that old chestnut. <laughs> yes, uh, which is sort of poetic, because in the old world, Arcan the Black is the person who killed Eltharion. Uh, in the old world, Eltharion was a protector of the elven lands. He was an elf, a high elf himself, and he was sort of like high elf Batman. Like, he was the protector of the lands, and he took it very seriously, and he was unswervable in his duty and in the end times arcan destroyed eltharion with a spell called hand of dust that unmade him didn't just kill him unmade him and scattered his physical form and his soul to the ether and teclis when he made his lumineth realm lords needed a general that he could trust implicitly and there was no one better than eltharion and when he tried to make Eltharion a new body, the bodies kept being destroyed. The spell that undid him was too strong. He couldn't inhabit a physical form. But on one attempt, the body was destroyed, but the armor was left. And then the armor started to glow from within. And then the armor sat up and saluted. And that's Ugh. how Eltharion is now an animated suit of armor. With a gorgeous model. <laughs> like, if y'all haven't seen it, it might have been GW's best sculpt of 2020. It's so good. But Eltharion is not sort of susceptible to much of what would happen. Like, what are you going to do? Eradicate my body? Too late. Already done, been done. Whatever. Yeah, I'm just metal. Like, I'm just a suit of armor. Fight me. Yeah, it- yeah, pretty much just summed up the second half. So, Eltharion walks out the gate looking at, like, Arcan and just keeps walking. Power walking. And, um, some super hardcore elves go with him. And some of them don't make it. But enough make it that they can, like, occupy the ground forces and Eltharion beelines at Arcan. And now I know an animated suit armor does not have a face, but if it did have a face, it would be a super angry face. Yeah, you just take sharpies and draw eyebrows on the top, like the tops of the helms, <laughs> squinty like the eyes. Helms. Yeah, uh, yeah. Eltharion turned on rip and tear and looked at Arcan, and it was decided. 
He walks through the battle. He only kills whatever's in front of him to get to Arcan, a, a absolute force of nature. And when he gets towards Arcan, Arcan looks at him and decides, I'll just kill you how I killed you before, and hits him with Hand of Dust to eradicate him again. But there's nothing to eradicate. Yeah, sort of the like armor just... shakes and rattles, but it holds. And as his armor is sort of like shaking and rattling and trying to be ripped apart, but can't quite do it, he sort of like has a quick sword play with uh, Arcan the Black and then brings back his foot and launches it forward, kicking Arcan off the edge of the realm. And as Arcan sort of falls through the air screaming, the like the chaos, the sort of chaotic energies that always rotate around the edge of a realm grab him and rip him into dust. And Arcan is undone. And obviously as Arcan dies, the ritual is shot. The best chance of completing the ritual ends. And the elves are victorious. And Arcan is dead. Although I should say, Arcan is a lich. And he has died before. I do not think he's permanently gone out of the lore. I think people who do think that are just a little excited. He will be back. As a, as a lich will do. It's just going to take him some time to like put himself back together. They're not gonna. He's not gonna have the same like level of power that he currently has. Like he's kind of having to. He's gonna have to restart to a degree. Yeah, yeah. And I think like it is largely a lore thing. Like on the table, of course, he will be fine. But on the in the lore, like a lot of these more powerful characters could be in multiple places at once. That's probably not going to be the case for him now. Like he's in terms of uh, in the realm, he is not going to be everywhere. He is not going to be all knowing. Uh, he is going to have to sort of sleep and regenerate. Yeah, he's going to like take a back seat for a while in the realm of death, like hang out in the crib and play some video games and, you know, watch trailer Pepsi. park boys or whatever. Yeah. Drink some Pepsi, you know, um, which, maybe order some Domino's. And we'll get to where I think this is all going at the end. Cause I do have a, uh, a guess of where I think this is going to lead. Uh, but that leaves us to the finale, the big fight. Uh, so essentially, Nagash sees all of his lieutenants fail. Oh, God, it's already been an hour. Sorry, y'all. This is going to be a long episode. Um, Nagash sees all of his lieutenants fail and decides, well, if, if you want something done, you got to just do it yourself. So he decides he's going to go do the ritual. Now, the thing that's kind of interesting is as, obviously, uh, Teclis has been invading the realm of death, Lumineth have been dying. And anything that dies, especially in the realm of death, goes to Nagash. Yeah, it goes to Bone Daddy. So he is sort of collecting all of these souls and bones, and he decides to use them to make it possible for him to complete his ritual. And not just complete his ritual, but he wants to shame the elves and sort of morally crush them for their insolence. Um, so he amasses a huge army of Ossiarch Bone Reapers and walks through the Realm Gate. And he is in his full godly form. He is large. He is in charge. And he is surrounded by the swirling souls of the dead Lumineth. 
Ooh, bad look, Nagash. Bad look. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the elves essentially, like, raise their bows and stuff to fire. But if they do, they're going to be killing the souls of their compatriots. And they can't do it. They can't bring themselves to, like, destroy the souls of their fellow elves. Which is kind of Nagash's plan. Like, he knows that they care for these souls, and he knows that he can use it against them. So he walks essentially unabated across the realm with his guard. And he makes a beeline towards a Velenor, which is like the named mountain in the realm. There are, it has its own model. Like its spirit of the mountain, a Velenor, the Stoneheart King, is the only named spirit of the mountain in the entire book. Because it is their holy symbol for that kingdom. Like, they worship this mountain. They speak to the mountain. It guides them in they their love rock. life. Yeah, they love rock. They do. They love this rock. It is their friend. It is their guide. It is a, a holy figure of sorts to the Lumineth. And Nagash decides, I'm not just going to cause pain to your realm. I'm going to destroy this mountain. Man. So what he a, what a what a power move, like in a bad way. Yeah, <laughs> like yes, it is one thing to be like, yeah, I'm gonna hurt your realm, but like I'm gonna hurt your realm while on top of your holy symbol, and then I'm gonna crush the holy symbol. Like neat rock. What if I just like ground it into dust? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> like he ascends this mountain along with all of his guard, and he begins to destroy the mountain and it becomes brittle and begins to crack and it begins to die. And the people in the city down below are absolutely distraught. You know, it's like if you watched your eldest patron of your family be torn apart in front of you, like they are beside themselves and they begin to like run up the mountain as quickly as they can but Nagash's energy, j just by being there, is sort of corrupting the place. The energies of death are surging, sapping the energy and the strength from the muscles of the elves. And it's pulling their life from them the closer they get to Nagash. So as they're trying to make this assault up a mountain that's already tiring, they're being drained, which makes it you know, from hard to almost impossible. And a lot of the elves don't survive the climb. They just die on the way up. And the only ones who sort of stay standing are the elves who worship this mountain. Like, all, a lot of them sort of look to it for guidance, but some devote their life to it. You know, they've yeah, some given... Some really love rock. Oh, they're, they are like PhD geologists who have given oh, up God. all of their worldly belongings and only have rock. And like the rock is who gives them their powers and they live for the rock and the rock live for them. They smell what the rock is cooking. And they have the strength to keep pushing. And as they fall, another spirit arrives, the, uh, the spirit of the wind. And be like, as these elves, like, sort of, they are trying to keep left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And as they sort of slump over and begin to fall, a wind will blow and pick them up, put them back on their feet, and blow at their backs to keep them moving. And it's 
at this moment, it's kind of a hopeless battle. Like, it is a heroic charge that these, like, mountain elves are doing to try to save their beloved patron. But there are a bunch of Ossiarch at the top of this mountain that you have to get through on top of a god. It is... Stuff looks grim. It's yeah, bleak. that's that math doesn't quite check out. No, it is more of a, a symbol of defiance in the face of death than it is like an actual tactical decision. But if you're going to die, you know, die on your feet, I guess. Die for your rock. And, um, you know, at this moment is finally when Teclis arrives in his realm. Uh, him, and not just him, but his, like, the spirit of the realm, Selenar. Which is, if you look at his model, it's the giant sphinx creature that is always at his side. It's not his mount. She is her own character. But she is the spirit of the moon and this realm. And Selenar and Teclis descend to try to stop Nagesh. And a magic fight between gods ensues. There was a magic fight. <laughs> yes. And there is as much destruction as there was around Willem Dafoe when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, the battle starts and Teclis immediately, like, with a giant hand of bone, grabs Selenar the Sphinx and crushes her and kills her and throws her aside. So no. she is sent back to the astral plane to reform. Okay. Like, long as it didn't kill the moon cat, like, I'm... I'm no, just about to be really mad if Don't worry, much cat. like uh, Arcan, I'm going to quote George of the Jungle. <laughs> this is a kid's show. No one dies here. They just get really big boo-boos. So, <laughs> she's sent back to the astral realm with her big boo-boo. And it's Daltechlis v. Nagash 1v1. And um, some, like, using that moment of distraction, Teclis sends a beam of light, a Kamehameha at Nagash. And Nagash gets hit with it, and it begins to, like, sear him away. And it also hits his nine books of the dead. Ooh. Which, for, like, old world readers, you're like, oh, no! But for everybody else, like, what the hell? He likes books? Like, we already know they're nerds. All right, cool. <laughs> you burn some of his encyclopedia. Oh, well, he'll buy more. Jeez. <laughs> uh, in the lore, Nagash's nine books of the dead are sort of like the Necronomicon, but it's all of the knowledge of undeath and necromancy that he has compiled over eons from, like, the beginning of time to now. And it is all of the knowledge that he has worked so hard to covet. That he always keeps on his person. And in the first opening strike, Teclis eradicates them. The books are destroyed. Setting back the, like, the art of necromancy eons in a single blow. And Nagash is so angry that he like vents his rage. And around him, the mountain begins to fall apart. And the earth begins to shake. And Teclis realizes, we can't fight here. Like, if we fight here, the collateral will level everything. It, we have to get out of here. So they, much like in DBZ, where they do like a, a quick teleport to the middle of nowhere real quick, um, Teclis like circles them both in a ball of light and teleports them out to a pocket dimension. Cool, cool, cool. Really glad they're not going to blow up Cool Rock after, you know, punching Mooncat. Oh yeah, don't worry. We'll get back to Cool Rock. Uh, and they teleport to a pocket dimension 
And now they're slinging spells at each other. And, like, there's nothing to hold back for. There's nothing collateral here. So they are slinging as hard as they can. Sort of like black disintegrating beams against light that is searing them away. Uh, and then Nagash sort of, Do like, the teleports to Teclas, which Teclas didn't expect. It starts swinging his scythe at him. And Teclas, all he has is, like, a fancy stick <laughs> that's... He's got a fancy staff, and that's all. And they sort of have this, like, duel of melee weapons really quickly, which... You mean duel of the fates, because that's the song I'm hearing in my head as you're describing this. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, although the choreography is much more like the final fight from Kick-Ass with the two nerds slapping each other. That's that what I picture. Sense. Yeah, that um, makes sense. But, like, in terms of, like, this physical combat, Nagash is just outclassing Teclas. Just absolutely hossing him. And eventually, Nagash stabs Teclas with his scythe. And he begins to drain the life from Teclas to kill a god. And here is a moment where a, a different decision could have been made that could have changed how this book ended. Nagash could have killed Teclas. But he wanted to kill Teclas in front of Teclas's own nation. So instead of staying in the pocket dimension... He teleports them back above the mountain. And as Teclas is impaled on this scythe blade, he sort of like opens his eyes and looks around. And below his kingdom is sort of like they have surged up and they are fighting the Ossiarch with everything that they have, trying to push forward. And with the Os without Nagash there to kind of keep the elves back, they made headway. Like, more made it up the mountain because that energy was pulled away. Right. And now the Ossiarch are fighting on both sides. And then the Ossiarch get flanked by an army that no one expected. By the Flesh Eater Courts. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So earlier in the book, there was a small story about how, like, the Ossiarch Bone Reapers tried to, like, get help from the Flesh Eater Courts. And... They ask the Flesh Eater Courts to donate them bones, because that's how the Ossiarch make new soldiers. Yeah, like, give us your, it's bone tax, give us your rattles, yeah, so we're like, going to take the, over your stuff. The Flesh Eater Courts, obviously, they hallucinate what everything is. So they are, of course, like these horrible ghoulish creatures, but they see themselves as knights and kings. And they saw the Ossiarch as a neighboring kingdom coming to ask huh. for aid. <laughs> and... They paid them that aid. Yes, my brother, you may have our bones. Allow us to assist you in your time of need. So they, like, hand them all the bones. And um, then the Ossiarch come back and go, we need more bones. So the Flesh Eater Courts are kind of like, okay, well, I guess we'll kind of give you some of our special bones. And they hand them more bones. And finally, they come back and like, all right. We need more bones. And the Flesh Eater Courts essentially say, I ain't got none. <laughs> like, you done took all my bones. <laughs> you took all my goddamn bones. <laughs> I ain't got none. You, <laughs> I ain't got it, so you can't get it. And the Ossiarch Bone Reapers start, like, taking apart their throne that are, like, their charnel throne and taking everything from them. And finally, the order comes in from, I think it was Nagash saying, well, then kill them. Take their bones. And the Ossiarch earlier in the book turned on the Flesh Eater Courts and started killing them for their bones. But a lot oh. of them got... Yeah, what a betrayal! Uh, so a lot of them got away. But during this final battle, the Flesh Eater Courts came back mad as hell. 
so angry and they wanted their bones back. <laughs> so the I'm just picturing Lumineth going, finally, help from the west. Look to the west. The sun is rising. Reinforcements come in. And it's just a fleshy record sitting there with like a crow a crown made out of like plastic sitting there going, <laughs> We've come. <laughs> for our bones what i thought you were gonna help us nope just came here for our chicken uh chicken bones they stole all of our chicken bones there was still some meat on it and damn you oziarch bone reapers give us back our bones so like the oziarch bone reapers now have a bunch of elves on one side and a bunch of angry flesh eater courts on the other side <laughs> they're fighting a two-pronged battle against two very angry forces who hate them entirely <laughs> everyone hates these everyone hates tax collectors and that's just what the bone reapers are they are they're like magic tax collectors and now they're the irs like <laughs> they're not even taking your money like all right so we're all mad when we have to pay taxes but imagine if the irs came to you and went i need you to give me your femur you'd go what the fuck Eat my butt. <laughs> like, well, like, isn't it like that they, they wait for the dead anyway? So, like, imagine, like, you're having a funeral, right? And, like, you're, you're burying a loved one. And they just kind of, like, the Bone Reapers show up. And they're just like, hey, uh, I know you're going through a hard time and you're grieving. But, uh, can we get your aunt's, like, arm? Like, can we just well, have that? So, they don't even say, like, sorry. They literally show up and go, give me Meemaw. And you have to <laughs> give them Meemaw. Like... <laughs> And by the way, if you don't have Meemaw, they just take you. Oh, no. Yes, they will take the living and pull the bones out if they have to. That's fine. Yeah, they'll Uh. take their tax one way or the other. So as you can imagine, after many years of Meemaw rakings, where like they just rake Meemaws into a big barrel and carry them off, everyone hates them. And... (laughs) It, it kind of comes home to roost. So, like, Teclis sees this battle against the Ossiarch turning in his, in his like, kingdom's favor, even as he's, like, sort of dying on this scythe. And then he looks to the mountaintops around them. And the people from the city have sort of got in position. And from the mountaintops that surround Avelinor, the heart of the mountain range, lights appear on each mountaintop. Those, uh, there are these sort of, um, from the other order factions, specifically from like cities of Sigmar, there are big constructs that amplify magic with yeah, like hurricanum or something. Like yeah. Hurricanums. Exactly. Uh, hurricanums have been in the city because obviously the Lumineth are helping other races and the other races assist. They took a hurricanum to the top of each mountain. And they begin pumping energy into it. And from each mountaintop glows. And then six beams of light from each mountaintop hit Nagash like a laser. And begin to strip all of his necromantic energy away from him. And it gives Teclis an opening. And he sort of starts pulling the energy from all of the Lumineth around him who have Realmstone, like all the Lumineth carry Realmstone, and he pulls all of the Realmstone from all of them and makes these huge light chains that he throws around Nagash. Exactly how the Lumineth bound Slanesh. And they bi- he binds Nagash using this opening. And Nagash falls to the mountain. 
And as he lands on the mountain, sort of bound and helpless, the Ossiarch fall. And the Lumineth, like, surge over top of all of these dead troops, pounce on top of Nagash, who is, like, chained up on top of the mountain who he tried to destroy, chained to it. Literally chained to the item of his own ambition as the elves, like, hop on top of him and begin swinging their sledgehammers down on him and spears, and they crush Nagash into dust. Oof. And Nagash is, much like Arcan, destroyed. Uh, the only thing left of him is a small cloud of, like, dark energy that slithers towards the realm gate, and then he explodes. And But he'll be back. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, again, he's a lich. It's very hard to kill a lich permanently. It's so difficult. Um, yeah. So in that sort of aftermath, Teclis is wounded but living, and he takes all of this energy and writes a binding in the stars. Like, literally writes a binding in the stars, like a binding symbol, to bind the undead. And any remaining undead in the realm... Like, the, any remaining Ossiarch Bone Reapers, essentially, in the realm are, like, banished. They fall inert. All of that energy is pushed out. The Realm of Light is safe. And also, that binding spreads to other realms. And the Necroquake is dissipated. Like, this, that wave I talked about at the beginning where, like, Undead hordes are rising in random places just because of the necromantic energy surging across every yeah. step. It is undone. And Teclis puts an end to it. And that's where the big narrative ends. Uh, Nagash, through his own folly, is defeated. And Teclis, through his own folly, loses a lot of elves and is now permanently wounded by this death scythe. And... I gotta say, I love that story. Yeah, there's, there's no real winners, but they're kind of winners. Everyone kind of loses, but like Nagash and Arkin lose the most. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's... Uh, so where this is going, here's where I think this story's gonna go. Tekla spent a whole lot of time trying to tell Farmer Ted, You could kill Nagash, he's just a guy! And as this sort of rebellious... Uh, message is getting spread across the realms both Nagash and his right hand are brought like taken out of the picture they are both going to be recovering like playing video games together in their throne room or whatever they're not going to be out and about keeping the peace anymore yeah they they were roommates oh yeah so. for sure for, for sure. sure uh otherwise like well Nagash sits on the couch and uh Arcan is his like footstool but, like, it's still in the same room, so I'll count it. Um, now that they're out of the picture, they are not going to be keeping the realms under an iron fist. I mean, they kind of kept a tyrannical realm running through fear and torment, but now they aren't going to be able to do it. Yeah, Shyish can, like, progress, I suppose. Yeah, and somehow. I think in this power vacuum, a lot of lords who are, like, you know, ancient vampires who have successfully run kingdoms... For centuries, and not like, you know, undead hordes. I mean, like, the realm of death has full cities full of living people mm -hmm. with, like, mm -hmm. developed cultures that run and work and function using undead as, like, workhorses to be guided by the more intelligent living. 
Um, like there is interesting narrative there. And a lot of these lords have been successfully ruling forever, but have been unable to do anything with it because Nagash has been keeping everyone under his thumb. And now that there's a power vacuum, I think a lot of these lords are going to be looking to grab more land. Like they're going to be looking to muster their armies and push forth to try to grab what they can while the cat's away. And I think that's what's going to give us soul blight grave lords. That not, this power vacuum is going to give us the soul blight. And, oh yeah, and like a, as a direct response. Yeah, I think death civil war is very fitting for this next part of like AOS lore, especially if like destruction becomes like the new major thing for order to be fighting. Yeah, and I don't know exactly how it's going to shake out, but I think it's going to be super interesting. And obviously, I'm excited for soul blight grave lords. So I am very excited. I'm. I would love to have an army that is just the Legacy of Cain series. The army, give me that. Um, and I think it's super cool. And I love how much the lore was pushed forward in this book. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I wonder if they can do the same for Bellicor. Uh, well, they did a huge push forward in Marathi, and they did a huge push forward in Teclas. So I don't see why they would stop that train. Uh, yeah. I feel like in 40k they're a little more hesitant to do big moves like this, but in AOS, they they don't seem to have problems with it, and I'm a big fan of that. I like hearing how the story progresses, and how people are sort of getting motivated. And to that end, there was a part in this that I haven't talked about yet because I'm so stinking excited about it that I didn't want to bring it up in the middle. Um, there's a couple of back and forths in the book where Teclis is sort of in like a, a space between realms, pondering his own thoughts, thinking about what to do next. And he is found by Lariel, the goddess of life. And they have some really interesting conversations where uh, she essentially warns him that, you know, sort of his pride will get the better of him if he's not careful. And he warns her that she's dealing with forces that she can't control. And at the end of the book, they have a back and forth that has me giddy. Giddy! Where she warns him that now that the energy of death is in, is in decline, and Nagash is gone, life will surge. Like the energy of life yeah, will like surge. Yeah, like as yeah. And um, Teclis warns her that uh, essentially chaos may surge in response and that you aren't ready. And Ilario responds that she has more ways to fight them than he can imagine. And that's where they leave it. That like Ilario is scheming some, like Ilario has some plan that she's trying to play in the background. And I cannot tell you how excited that makes me. As like a as the resident Sylvaneth Stan, hey yo, how you doing? Um, obviously, I love anything where like the tree people get a stake in it because at this point they have done roughly nothing in the lore, and Alariel as a character has had no characterization of anything interesting. She was like a damsel in distress that had to be saved for the first part, and now she has essentially just been like the the designated helper guy for when everyone else wants to do their plan. So to get a whiff that she has something brewing that she's looking to drop on people that is apparently going to be spicy. Oh, yes. Give well, it. 
We know that she's fighting Nurgle still. Um, she has to deal with like beasts of chaos in her realm all the time, and like does clash with order on occasion. Um, and I feel like Sylvaneth are a really good foil for like dealing with destruction. Like, there's something to be said there. So I think that as we're progressing with the story, it'd be really neat to see Sylvaneth kind of take the forefront. Also, to take a little bit of a backseat away from, like, the elf-centric AOS that we've had. Yeah, or even, like, I don't know if they're going to necessarily... I don't think the Sylvaneth are going to take the forefront. I think Alariel is just going to hatch a plan that might give us, like, new models. Or maybe new rules. Or something like that. And if even if that's all we're getting... I'd be ecstatic. Oh, I'd be elated. Uh, maybe some like new type of tree creations, because there is narrative uh, potential there for days for stuff that could be made for new models. And I yeah. would just love to see some new stuff like that. And also to give her a character, because to this point, she doesn't have one. Uh, and I would just love to see her have some agency and some plans and to try to, like, make her mark on the narrative to do whatever it is that she's trying to do. I think that would just be absolutely mint. Especially with Teclas being, like, wounded to the degree that he's wounded. Like, she's she's a very powerful character. She just doesn't flex her power very often. Yeah. She's not in her, it's not in her way either. Like, she's not arrogant. She's not, like, there's no nice way of putting it. Like, unlike a lot of the other Order characters, she doesn't have, like, an ambition for conquest or an ambition for, like, colonization. She just kind of goes, I want me and my trees to be left alone. If you could just do that, please, it'd be great. We would have no problems if you would just get out. Could you just get out? Love yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't, I'm excited. I would, I cannot wait. And I think... That was a nice little cherry on top for me as a big fan of that army for the end of the book. But I think the book itself was just super fun. And I'm glad that I there was enough lore for me to talk about for an hour and a half, which I never expected to say about a little like installment book. Because let me tell you, if you asked me to do this same episode on like the Psychic Awakening book with the Blood Angels versus the Tyranids, the episode would be 15 minutes. <laughs> we wouldn't be here nearly this long. <laughs> So that is just a breath of fresh air, and I uh, I hope they keep up. And I think in the next book, Bellacor is going to try to take uh, sort of like chaos power from Archaon. Obviously, Archaon is like, right now he is the favorite son, and I think Bellacor is going to try to knock him down a peg. Now, to date, Archaon has not lost a single battle in the AOS lore. Not one, not near a one. He's just win, win, win. All across the board. Uh, so I, I'm interested to see if they break that streak here. Or <laughs> or if Arca or if uh, Bellacor is just going to get another L in the long line of L's that he is holding. I think that this is going to be a situation where you're going to see some cross-faction help. Like, I think you're going to see a Night Haunt with the Mortark of Grief helping Bellacor take on Archeon. It could. I mean, Bellacor is the schemer, and he will offer anyone anything if it will sort of advance his position. Yeah. And I don't think he can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Archeon. I just don't think he's powerful enough. I don't think he can, but I think he could outthink Archeon. Oh, yeah. Anyone could outthink Archeon. Archeon's essentially just a trash can that with, like, pointy edges. 
Yeah, yeah, he's really, like, physically tough, but I feel like he's not the nearly the schemer that Bellacor is. No. And he could be outmaneuvered, and I'm wondering if that's the the place we go. But, I mean... I mean... Well, I guess we'll see soon. Because uh, yeah, there's another Archeon... Broken Realms book coming out in no time. Yeah, yeah. And most of Archeon's wins have been, like, pure brute force anyways. Like, he just has the numbers always on his side. Mm-hmm. So, we'll yeah, see. I guess we'll I'm see. curious. I mean, yeah. these Broken Realm books are coming out quick. Like, there was a little bit of a gap between, like, Marathi and Teclis. But I feel like Teclis came out, we all went, wow, we've read it. Here's the lore. Oh, God. Bellacor is next week. Okay. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, Karakros is looking like it's going to be, like, a month out. We're like, what is going on? Oh, yeah. Kragnos? Yeah. Who knows? Um, it, I'm hoping it's quick on the heels of uh, Bellacor. But I guess we'll see. Um, before we leave, I guess we'll say a quick mention. Rules-wise, the book gave like some war score rewrites and some battalions. But largely what it was meant to do was to fill out the other half of the Lumineth Realm Lords army. So it features a ton of new units for the Lumineth. And uh, they are, in short, really, really, really good. <laughs> really good. And, and I had a way for you to play Illumineth with Cities of Sigmar with Settler's Gain, too, I believe. Yeah, Settler's Gain. That's the name of the like the city that Teclis was trying to defend at the beginning of the book. So you can now add some Lumineth stuff into your Cities of Sigmar list narratively and sort of competitively. I think it's going to have gas. And uh, yeah, Lumineth, were, I think they were decent before, but now they are incredible on the tabletop. Uh, I think they will be... Uh, making a lot of people feel really bad in casual games for long, long time to come. Yeah. But I think, dear Lord, John, hour and a half episode. Oh, I mean, yeah, it was, but it was good. Like you're talking about like high elf daddy, man. Why do I keep saying daddy? I mean, like John, what are you doing? He's an authority figure. All right. Freudian slips. Freud, roll over <laughs> in your grave. Um, all right. But for people who are still here, for all one of you who are still here, thank you for sitting through an hour and a half of us blabbering. Uh, Lord knows it could have been easy. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you enjoy these longer form videos where we talk about the lore from a book, let me let us know. Maybe we'll do it again for Bellacore if people are interested. And if you do have any sort of thoughts or you want to give us feedback on it, feel free to hit us up in the YouTube comments down below. Reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram where, you know, we are on all the social medias. And uh, we would love to hear from you. We always do. And uh, in the future, we will try not to make the episodes quite so long. Uh, we can actually make that promise. Uh, I said we we'll might, try. We might just do it anyways. <laughs> but That's fair. like Joe was saying... Like, comment, subscribe. We tell appreciate us, it. Tell yeah. us what you like. Bully us if you didn't like anything. That'd Dislike stuff if you don't like it. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus, now we're going to get bullied. Fair enough. But for now, that's been all of our opinions. <laughs> Bonafide Kentucky Fried. We'll see y'all next time.